welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast, where we strive to bring you useful and timely information to inspire and encourage you on your journey with histiocytosis. This is episode 20, Work Beyond the Diagnosis, a conversation with cancer and careers. the diagnosis. I'm your host, Kathy Wisniewski. Work plays a very significant role in our lives. It's how we provide for ourselves and our families. It brings us a sense of purpose, fulfillment, and accomplishment, and it's also a place for social interaction and skill building. Additionally, it consumes a very large portion of the hours of our week. So when something such as a rare disease diagnosis enters our lives, it can be difficult, if not impossible, to figure out how to navigate all the layers and nuances that live at that intersection. We were so excited when we learned about an organization called Cancer and Careers, which started back in 2001 in order to address some of these very issues. They saw a need, they saw large gaps between what people required in order to navigate their work situation after a diagnosis and what was actually available to help them. So they jumped right in to fill those gaps, and to this day, they continually strive to provide as many resources as they can to lessen the burden on cancer patients, families, and caregivers just a little bit. Throughout this episode, you'll hear just how many solutions they offer for the questions you have or didn't know you had. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, and a very special welcome to our Histio community and listeners. Oftentimes when we think of histiocytosis, we think about all of the children that it affects. It's been known as a predominantly uh, a pediatric disease. However, we do know that these diseases also affect adults, and we're learning more and more each and every year through research education of physicians, and earlier diagnosis, just how prevalent these diseases are in adults. Dealing with a rare disease as an adult presents a whole new and additional set of challenges to the patient, and unfortunately, resources for adult patients can be scarce. And here at the Histiocytosis Association, we're working hard to build our family of resources for the adult patient, and that's what today's podcast episode is all about. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Uh, Rachel Becker is the deputy director of a fantastic organization called Cancer and Careers, which, as the name implies, empowers and educates people with cancer to thrive in their workplace. Now, as we know, there are some instances uh, where histiocytosis is considered a cancer, which is why we were so intrigued by this organization and excited to invite Rachel to the podcast. But I don't want to give away too much. I'd rather Rachel tell you herself. So, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kathy. Thank you so much for inviting us to be a part of this conversation. Absolutely. Well, why don't we start out by you telling us a little bit about yourself and about uh, cancer and careers and your role at the organization? Sure. Um, so I have personally been with cancer and careers for eight years. Uh, my background is as an oncology social worker, although these days I do a lot of uh non-traditional social work related tasks. I oversee our program team and do a lot of public speaking. uh, And I work very closely with our executive director on various strategic projects. But that's sort of the less interesting piece of this. The organization itself really has a a fascinating uh, history and we're so proud of the work that we're able to do. We've been around for over 20 years. Cancer and Careers Mm -hmm. was founded in 2001. And it is the only nonprofit organization in the United States that is solely focused on the issues that sit at the intersection of work and a cancer diagnosis. And it's actually very unique in that it focuses on work after any medical diagnosis all in. So in terms of what that might mean in, in with what we contribute, um, sometimes we work with people who have just received a diagnosis and are trying to figure out if or how they're going to be able to keep working. Mm-hmm. If they've already made choices about working and are doing that either full or part-time, often they may have questions about how to make things work for them during treatment. And then, of course, very often we also hear from people who are looking for new work opportunities, either because they've taken time off or because their experience with cancer has been so life-changing that now they're looking for a different career, maybe something that's more meaningful or maybe something that gives them 
more flexibility to to spend time with their family or do the things that they love. And of course, there are a whole spectrum of other questions that might come up related to employment as well. And so Cancer and Careers offers a variety of free educational programs and resources that are really designed to meet people where they are, wherever that might be. And many of our offerings are also available in Spanish. And because so many of them are virtual, they can be accessed through our website from anywhere across the U.S. and its territories. That's fantastic. I think that this is something that is very, very needed and very, I'm sure, welcome to to the uh, the, the cancer patients that are out there. Because, um, like I mentioned, it's it's a whole different set of circumstances when an adult has has a disease that they have to, you know, still take on the the responsibilities of life and still think about those things. So, what what an exciting organization to have out there. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's such a it's such a great point that you make. One of the things that's that can be so complicated about getting a diagnosis as an adult is, as you say, the responsibility, the complexities, and and the fact that that life needs to keep moving, and responsibilities mm-hmm. need to keep being met. So um, it's really it's a privilege to be able to do this work. Very good. Well, this is a very unique organization indeed. And it, and like we're saying, it does fill a gap that's needed to be filled for a long time. And one that mm-hmm. I know that um, our community is going to find very useful. So tell us a little bit more about when the organization started and what the vision was for the organization at that time. Sure. So as I mentioned, we were founded in 2001. And We came to be when five board members of a trade association in the beauty industry were diagnosed with cancer over the course of two years. Mm. And all of them faced the same problem, which was specifically that there was plenty of medical information out there, but there was really no guidance or services or resources available to help them keep working. And it's worth mentioning that these board members were all women. They were glass ceiling breakers. Um, They were pioneers in the field of beauty. And for them, there was no version of their cancer journey that didn't include at least the option to stay engaged with their careers. Mm -hmm. And so they realized, along with the president of the association, that if they, if this group of people who had become so successful in the business world were struggling to find answers, then it was inevitable that there were other people out there who were struggling to combine work and cancer as well. And so they got together and they raised some money and they set to work creating a resource to fill that gap. The organization still has strong ties to the beauty industry. Cancer and Career specifically has strong ties to the beauty industry. So a number of our board members are from beauty brands and some of our incredible funders are also within the beauty industry, as well as other industries such as pharmaceutical companies and publishing and so on. Uh, But the idea really was to create this resource, create a stop with information that could help people continue to stay on the job after they had received a diagnosis. Such an inspirational story, honestly. Um, it's incredible that five of these women all dealt with a cancer diagnosis uh, in, in such a short period of time, but the way they, they took that experience and turned it around is just uh, so inspirational. Absolutely. And, you know, the unfortunate reality is that with with cancer diagnoses, we see approximately one in two men being diagnosed out of the course of their lifetime, almost one uh, one in three women being diagnosed. So it is a pretty significant number of people who will have this experience. Mm. And then, of course, when you think about all of the other diagnoses that are out there, histiocytosis, lupus, multiple sclerosis, these these conditions that get diagnosed as a um, that become chronic conditions or ongoing conditions that need to be navigated, while people are working, it's really, it's a significant number of, of individuals who are going to go through an experience like this over the course of their life. So really important that they, that they stepped in to fill that gap. Absolutely. Can you share with us a little bit of insight into the, the timeline of Cancer and Careers as far as its growth since its founding? Yeah, absolutely. So we, at this point in time, are 10 full-time staff. But in 2001, when we were founded, it was done with one one person, one human behind the scenes navigating Mm -hmm. everything. And so in that year, we launched our website in English 
It's the same website we still use, which is cancerandcareers.org. And as I mentioned, it was an informational hub that was specifically there to generate conversation around these issues. And at that point in time, it specifically spoke to the issues faced by women who were working during a cancer diagnosis, although a few years later, we did expand to include people of all genders, and that is whom we work with today. In 2002, we started producing publications. So our first English publication, which is called The Living and Working with Cancer Workbook, came out that year. We started translating into Spanish the following year. So that book became available in Spanish in 2003. Mm-hmm. And then over the next five years, there was a lot of accelerated growth. So we started conducting annual surveys with Harris Poll. We still do these to generate insight and research and statistics into the experience of people who are working after a cancer diagnosis. We've expanded our publications library in that time. We launched our Spanish website. And then in 2008, we started hosting community events. Also at that time, we launched some virtual programs, which are still available online. So we have online career coaching. We have a collective diary where people can share their stories and experiences. And similarly, that serves as a place where somebody who may have just received a diagnosis can go to read the words and and hear about the experiences that other people are having. Um, And of course, not just after receiving a diagnosis, it's a great resource to visit whenever something new might come up over the course of of a journey. In 2010, we started offering accredited programs for healthcare professionals because uh, we, of course, realized that it was very important uh, to inform the entire ecosystem that was working with people who had received a diagnosis. So, you know, if you think back to that origin story, the five board members were talking to their medical team and their medical team was not talking to them about what work might look like. So we decided to go in there and change that in the best way that we knew how to do it, which was by offering these accredited programs. From there, we also started offering conferences, full day events specifically focused on digging into the variety of topics that sit at the intersection of work and cancer. So our national conference on working cancer launched in 2011. That was held in New York City. And then a few years later, we spread to other regions of the United States, specifically our Midwest conference, which happens in Chicago. We have a West Coast conference in Los Angeles. Those, of course, have been virtual in recent years, but we're hoping to get back to being in person with those very soon. 2015, we launched some webinars. We also started offering some financial grants programs, full-day job search intensives for people who were looking for work that were led by members of our staff and a career coach to help really you know, empower people going through that process as well. And then, of course, over the in the pandemic, we've seen some 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 growth related to virtual programming as well. So we just last year launched a technology assistance program to try to put laptops into the hands of people who are looking for work opportunities in this virtual space that we may that so many of us are inhabiting with greater frequency than we were before a few years ago. And and we recognize that a lot of people didn't necessarily have access to reliable technology to, to seek out those, those jobs. So we've, we've worked to try to address that. We've, we've increased our financial assistance grants and, um, and also our Spanish programming. So last year we piloted a a webinar program in Spanish this year, we're going to be expanding that into a full series And of course, we're always listening to and learning from our audience and the people that we serve so that we can create new programs and adapt our existing programs to meet the specific meet the specific needs that they have. So that growth is really ongoing and and we're very excited about what the what the next 20 years are going to look like for us. Such uh, fantastic opportunities and programming that you have. It's a, it's a lot (laughs) Um, working on a lot of things all at the same time, but it's 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 a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, so, so helpful, I think, for this community and everything that they need. So um, we, our, our two organizations are similar in that we try and, and listen to our community and see what they need as far as um, gaps that need to be filled and try and fill those things. So um, thank you to Cancer and Careers for all of that work. 
Absolutely. I mean, we have we have such an incredible team of people who 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 I get to work with. It's it's you know, people ask about it's my favorite part of my job, and it really often so much is is getting to interact with the humans on our team. Um, really passionate people, really dedicated, and and it's all of them who make it possible for us to to do the listening and expanding that that you're talking about. Right, right, and like you were talking about um, the numbers of people who um, are af- affected by cancer. Aside from those that actually have a cancer diagnosis, all of us are going to likely know somebody if we, you know, at, at least know somebody that that deals with cancer. So. I imagine that 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 helps fuel the passion on the team because we all have been touched by it. Most of us have anyway, in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was doing a little poking around on your website and I noticed that um, as far as impact, Cancer and Careers has some pretty impressive numbers. So share with us some of your statistics as far as like number of people helped annually, resources distributed, resumes reviewed and, and things like this. Sure. So I think important to mention up front that we our approaches to work from both a depth and breadth perspective, of course. And so some of our programs are able to reach a large number of people and are designed to do exactly that. The fact that we've existed in the virtual space since we were founded has obviously been a great assistance on that front. Um, and then, of course, others of our programs might be small in terms of the number of people that they impact directly, but that individual impact is greater. So thinking about, you know, putting a laptop into someone's hands or offering them a full day with a career coach to help them learn how to enhance their job search. Mm-hmm. But if we, you know, overall, when we're looking across our programs online, in print and in person, we're able to reach more than 500,000 people each year. Uh, last, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's an exciting number. Uh, last year alone, we distributed more than 45,000 publications in both English and Spanish. We have reviewed more than 1,700 resumes since our resume review program was founded in 2013. Uh, I mentioned the technology assistance program that we launched in 2021. And so we, through that, have distributed 180 laptops to individuals in less than two years. And uh, we are financial assistance grant program, which was launched in 2020 in response to the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic was having on people who had received a cancer diagnosis. That's Mm -hmm. allowed us to distribute a half a million dollars in cash assistance to people who need it throughout 49 states, as well as Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico and two of the Virgin Islands as well. Fantastic. Wow. (laughs) Now, there are also some pretty um, staggering and sobering numbers that you show on your website as well regarding cancer survivors and some of the challenges that they have um, with things like work or limitations or unemployment, both during and after treatment. Share with us some of those statistics and how these challenges affect those cancer survivors. Sure. So, yeah, there certainly are some sobering statistics that we see when we start to dig into to this area. And, you know, I mentioned the the overall number of diagnoses that we see in the United States across people's lifetimes. We also know that um, more than 70% of those diagnoses are made in adults between the ages of 20 and 74, which, and so this is drawn from a particular study, which defined that era in life as prime employment years. And Mm -hmm. I would actually offer that prime employment years is even more of a moving target than that these days. You know, people start working at the age of 18. Some people start working at younger ages than that. And of course, the retirement age has been being pushed back as well. And people have retirement jobs that continue to keep them in the workforce. So Mm -hmm. it really is a significant number of people who remain engaged with work after receiving a diagnosis of this sort. And one of the things that we know as well is that anyone who has been diagnosed with a disability is more likely to be unemployed. And when we think about a cancer diagnosis, it's about 1.4 times more likely, according to one study. And it's also the case that the effects of treatment, chemotherapy, radiation, surgeries, they can often have an impact that extends beyond the time of active treatment. 
And that can have an impact on workability as well. So when we were founded in 2001, the expectation was that people would seek us out and need us right after they received a diagnosis so that they could you know, make good decisions and plan for how life was going to move forward from there. But what we've learned over the years is that people reach out to us during treatment they reach out to us into what's often referred to as survivorship years after active treatment has ended because the impacts can be ongoing and there are questions about practical challenges. How do we continue to work? How do we um, think about finding something new when you've been in a career for 25 years and all of a sudden your ability to do it has shifted a little bit? That can create a, a real identity crisis for many people. And yeah. so understandable that this would be an ongoing conversation that extends well beyond the time of just receiving the diagnosis. But I also think it's important to point out here that I I mentioned that Cancer and Careers has done some studies over the years with Harris Poll, and we do this in an ongoing way. We do it approximately every year, every other year, because we think it's really important, as you and I were talking about, to hear directly from people who are living these experiences. And These surveys produce some really fascinating statistics that have a little bit more of a positive lean to them. We hear survey after survey that there is a diversity of reasons that people want to work or continue working after they've received their diagnosis. And when we look at the the top five responses that we receive to that question, they do move around in order of priority from year to year. It, of course, won't surprise you that health insurance and paycheck are often high up on the list there. But what the survey always supports as well is that those aren't the only reasons. People continue working because it helps them to feel productive. It helps them maintain a sense of normalcy and routine in a moment when things seem to be changing and shifting. It helps keep their mind focused on something besides what's happening with their health and their medical circumstances, because that can often feel so all-encompassing outside of the workplace. So those also show up on the survey. And specifically in 2021, when we did this survey, we saw that 74% of the people that we spoke to said that working during treatment was either currently helping them to cope with treatment or it had helped them to cope if their treatment had ended. And then Mm -hmm. 77% felt that the sense of accomplishment that work provided was actually critical to their recovery. So those are really strong statements about the value and the role that work plays within the human experience. And I think that sometimes our employers and healthcare providers, even family members and friends, think that the drive to work is rooted solely in the very critical and practical needs of health insurance and and salary. But it's so much more than that. And so we really feel that it's important to account for those wider range of reasons so that we can have a very full conversation about work after a diagnosis. Right. And and looking at it from a more broad perspective like that, I I would assume absolutely fuels your your creativity for new programs and the things that, that people need with a diagnosis and after treatment. Absolutely. And you know, it's what also fuels it is the feedback that we get on evaluation forms after some of the live programs that we receive, that we produce rather. Also, you know, just emails from people who have have found jobs or felt validated in that really passionate drive to stay engaged and keep going with their work, regardless of some of the other challenges that they might be facing. It's it's it really is truly one of the most special pieces of the work that we do to, to, to recognize and hear directly from individuals whose lives we're affecting the ways in which we help them to continue to feel like themselves or to start feeling more like themselves and continue growing. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, Rachel will share with us the two questions you should ask yourself when it comes to your work life after receiving a diagnosis and so much more. We'll be right back.
Whether you're a rainmaker or a snowman, grab your chicken sticks and join us on the dance floor August 26th at Beacon Hill Golf Club in Commerce Township, Michigan. Worm burners and flushers welcome. Who cares if you lay the sod? Join us for a fun-filled day of golf, games, raffles, prizes, food, and raise awareness and money for HLH Research. There are still spots available for golfers and sponsors. For more information about our HLH Awareness Charity Golf Outing, email robin at histio.org. Emotional and physical wellness are important for everyone. When we are faced with an obstacle, such as receiving a diagnosis of a rare condition or histiocytosis or any chronic condition, or if knowing a loved one is ill, it can be more difficult to focus on our own emotional and physical well-being. Yoga is just one way to take a moment for yourself. At its core, yoga is meant to encourage relaxation of the mind and the body. With the histiocytosis community in mind, yoga instructor Rebecca Florzik has developed a series of online yoga classes that take into consideration all levels of experience with yoga, in addition to the possible modifications for mobility, flexibility, and balance. You can find our classes on our Education and Connection section. Visit histio.org backslash resource dash overview backslash yoga dash four dash histio or navigate to histio.org click on resources education and connection and find our online yoga studio welcome back to part two of my conversation with rachel becker the deputy director of cancer and careers we have so much more to share with you so let's dive in Do you have any um, any circumstances where um, you have uh, someone that you previously helped that then um, went on to either become a volunteer or a board member or anything like that with your organization? Yeah, so we have an ambassador program that we that we run. We um, we ask people to you know who are interested in helping us to make a difference to spread the word to maybe go around into their community and and deliver publications if they're part of a support group to really kind of make sure that the people that they're close to who are living through something similar are aware of the resources that are available to help us. So we've had some really wonderful experiences over the years with some of the people that we've connected with who have um, who have gone on to, to be fantastic ambassadors for us. Awesome. Excellent. Well, one um, of the forms of histiocytosis was only recently recognized as a cancer. So does cancer and careers work with people with all types of cancers, even those that are more newly recognized? We do. Uh, we work with anyone who has heard the words, you have cancer regardless of what their tumor type is, regardless of how recently the tumor was diagnosed. And um, while some of our programs are specifically designated for patients and survivors, we also have offerings for caregivers, you know, and and you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, of course, that there are uh, so many histiocytosis diagnoses that happen in pediatric populations and um, that happen for kids. And so parents who may be caring for a child would be very welcome to come and talk to us about what they're navigating in terms of their working experience. And of course, healthcare professionals I mentioned and employers as well. Uh, And because there are so few organizations that focus on this topic specifically, we have for many years heard from people living with diagnoses that aren't cancer or social workers who are working with people who have other diagnoses, that they have found the information in our publications and in our webinars and on our website are applicable to them as well. I, I think that um, if there's there's anything that we have uh, fewer resources for than our adult patient population, it's probably the caregivers. So um, I think that, that that's an excellent point to make and an excellent thing to um, for our community to understand that even as caregivers um, dealing with, you still have to deal with your working life as well. So this is a fantastic resource for all of them uh, as well, which is uh, exciting for us to be able to offer, offer this, this to them. I agree with you that, that so there's so much to be done to support caregivers who are, are themselves doing such incredible work right? Incredible efforts in order to, to, to make sure that their loved ones are, are, you know, getting the treatment that they need and living the lives that they need to. And we are actually going to be offering a webinar in December. It's a new offering for our webinar series that is called Balancing Work and Caregiving. 
So I encourage anyone who is listening, who might be interested in uh, taking part in a structured conversation around that to check out our website, please sign up and join us. We're really, really eager to get this information out into the world. Oh, great. And I will, I'll put some, uh, a link up to your website in our show notes as well. So people can easily find that. Perfect. You know, as an, as an adult, it can be difficult to kind of advocate for ourselves. when We need to, it's much easier when you have a child that you're advocating for, but to do it for ourselves mm-hmm. can, can sometimes be very difficult. So what kinds of uh, services and resources does cancer and careers offer to help cancer patients navigate the world of employment after their diagnosis? Absolutely. So you know, we're very fond of saying, and of course, we're not the only ones who say this, but knowledge is power. And so we, you know, we really invest in creating resources that are going to arm patient people who have received a diagnosis with the information that they need to go forward and have effective conversations and make strong choices about what's going to work for them in their own life. So I mentioned our publications, I mentioned our webinar series, which I will say, I think it's a fantastic resource. We cover so such a wide variety of topics, whether it's changing careers or understanding potential legal protections, managing stress, setting boundaries within workplaces, which is often so challenging and a great way of advocating as well, right? You're advocating for your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really recommend checking those out. We also archive past webinars so people can attend live sessions and have the opportunity to interact with our presenters, but they can also go and and dig into topics that we've covered previously on their own time, you know, as the questions become relevant in their lives. We also have an Ask a Career Coach message board on our website. So we have a panel of experts and people are welcome to submit questions and we will pass them along to get answers from professionals working in the field uh, who make their living getting guidance, giving guidance to people who have questions about, you know, managing a difficult employer or uh, finding a job that is going to help meet their needs in terms of what they're looking for personally in their lives as they move forward. You mentioned our resume review service earlier. That is a fantastic resource. So people can upload their resumes to our website and we'll pass them along to a career coach who will take a look at it for free. All of these resources, by the way, are free. But that one in particular, I think, is such an outstanding resource because Mm -hmm. uh, it can be quite costly (laughs) to have an expert take a look at your your resume. So that's a really exciting one. And We also provide one-on-one support to people who need it. So I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that I am a social worker. We also have another, a couple of other social workers who are on staff and our staff who don't have that formalized training are all incredibly experienced and informed on this topic as well. Very warm people who are always happy to sit down and listen to what's going on and talk about potential solutions and even plan out with a conversation what a conversation with an employer might look like or think about how to deal with coworkers who are maybe making comments that you don't feel so comfortable addressing or whatever challenges might be coming up in the work environment. We're really proud to be able to offer that one-on-one support. And people can contact us by sending an email to careers at cew.org uh, to set up an appointment to speak with us directly. Awesome. I, I will put that in the show notes as well. I, I think that that, especially these, this career coach one-on-one, what an amazing thing to have available because, you know, when you get into the working world, everything can be so nuanced and layered. And, you know, sometimes you can, you know, somebody might say something to you that you're not comfortable with. And, um, you know, just kind of having someone to talk to about that and get some advice on how to address that or to put the boundary in place or whatever needs to happen. I mean, that, that is invaluable, I think, to people and, and something that I don't think we often think about, like those little nuances and the, the things that go on. Absolutely. And, you know, work can be so emotionally charged for us. Mm. You know, it's our our ability to provide for ourselves and our families are connected to it. Our sense of self is connected to it. 
and and we invest so much time in it. So when something starts to go kind of pear-shaped, there can often be a big emotional response. And we're sitting so close to the circumstance that it can sometimes be hard to identify what a next step forward is in a way that an objective third party can. Right. You know, we can go to our friends, we can go to our family, we can go to maybe some of our coworkers who we trust, but they also have a connection to the circumstance as mm-hmm. well. And so it's it's really nice to have the opportunity sometimes to be able to talk to somebody who is outside of the circumstance and say, hey, can you help me kind of see the forest for the trees here? Because often the solution to uh, whatever challenges you might be facing are are pretty close at hand, but when we're in the middle of them ourselves, we don't necessarily see what they are. So just just right. it's it's really incredible what a what a simple conversation can do to kind of make the difference to push someone forward in that self advocacy that they're looking for. Oh, I love that! What a what a fantastic program to offer. I love it. What would uh, your advice be for any adult who is newly diagnosed with histiocytosis as far as their work and employment is concerned? Yeah, so that moment in time after first receiving a diagnosis can be so challenging. Um, So many questions start to come up. Again, so many feelings start to come up and all of that can feel quite overwhelming. So I think the first thing that I would say to somebody is that if you're feeling that way, know that it is a common experience, that it is an understandable experience, and also that uh, there is a way through it. And we typically recommend for people who are feeling overwhelmed by all of the questions about, you know, how is life going to come together? How is work going to happen? Is work going to be able to happen? Am I going to be able to continue to work is sometimes a question that comes up. There are two questions that they can ask themselves to start to kind of carve out a path forward. And the first is, how important is work to you? What's going on there? And then the second is, what information do you need to make decisions that are right for you about what work is going to look like in the near future, in the long-term future? And when we think about types of information to collect, those fall into three categories. So the first is medical and treatment information. So you want to be talking to your healthcare providers about, you know, what's going on here? What is treatment going to look like? What are side effects likely to look like? Uh, What recovery times might be needed? And then, you know, make sure that they also have an understanding of what your work circumstance looks like, looks like, not just in terms of what you do day to day, but what your interest is in staying engaged with your job. And is there a way that you can work together to plan out a treatment schedule that's going to work for everybody, that's going to meet your medical needs and also hold space for whatever work goals you might have as well. Mm-hmm. Looking at workplace information is important too. So if you are in a job where there is paid time off available, taking a look at what that looks like, is there a disability time off policy that might be available that could work use in your favor? You know, And there are a variety of different workplace benefits that might be in place. And, and typically there's an, there's an online portal or there's a handbook or some sort of centralized source that people can look at to get answers to those questions. And then of course, uh, legal fact-finding in advance can be important as well. And I see this not because people frequently find themselves in a situation that's litigious. That's, that's not the point at all, but it's, you know, There are legal protections in this country that when people have access to them, because not everyone has access to legal protections under laws, they can be used as tools. Those can offer tools for creating a path forward in terms of work. So for example, one law that we frequently talk about, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail here, but the Americans with Disabilities Act for people who qualify for protections under there you know, they may be able to access reasonable accommodations that make working possible. And so understanding if you have access to those, maybe there are state fair employment laws that are in place that can be a benefit to you. It's really about asking the questions of what might be available in terms of those protections in order to to figure out how you could use those as well. 
And I am not an attorney. We don't currently have any attorneys on staffing cancer and careers, but we have more information about legal fact-finding on our website. Again, you can reach out to us and we can help you find some free legal resources to get more information as well. But overall, it's really about acknowledging that it's okay to have questions. I really encourage writing down questions as they come up. Mm -hmm. So that you have a record of them and you can start to gather information in an organized way. And then, of course, reaching out for help and finding answers because all humans need help from time to time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we often say that in these moments, it really takes a village. So figuring out who your village is and, and knowing that Cancer and Careers is there to be part of your village as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you have, um, and we've talked about a lot of the free resources that you have available on your website. If someone is newly diagnosed visiting your website for the first time, can you point them in the direction of a good place for them to start with those resources? Sure. So the great thing about our website is that it's organized in such a way that we've collected information to address the specific concerns that people might have. So whether they're you know, currently working and have questions, there's a section on our website that you can click on and and that'll take you to a variety of offerings with information similar for people who are looking for work. So the website in and of itself is a great resource, but of course it's such a such a big one. Um, if I have to distill down to one, I really recommend our Living and Working with Cancer workbook which is uh, one of the free publications that we offer. It was the first publication that Cancer and Careers put out into the world in 2002. It's, of course, been updated many times since then. But our publications can all be downloaded in PDF format, or we will ship them in hard copy uh, across the U.S. Again, they're available in English and Spanish. And it has a nice overview of information that you may be looking for information that you might not know that it would be good to have is in that as well. So it's nice to to have that as kind of a, a more distilled place to go back to with specific questions. And then I also really can't recommend our Balancing Working Cancer webinar series enough, particularly for people who prefer to learn in a, in a non-reading format. If you're listening to a podcast, I'm guessing that that listening to information in this way is something that's appealing to you. And so our webinar addresses our webinars address a similar kind of function in terms of, of offering experts in the field who are talking through specific topics. And again, we have an expansive archive in terms of uh, presentations we've presented in the past. So so really the living and working with cancer workbook our Balancing Work in Cancer webinars, those are two great places to get started if you're not entirely certain how to do that. Then aside from your online resources, you also uh, spoke earlier a little bit about um, some of your events such such as webinars and your conferences. Do you have any events uh, that are are coming up aside from the the, um, Balancing Work in Caregiving webinar in December? Are there any other events you have upcoming? Yes. So we do have a number of events coming up. We have live webinars every month. So in August, we're going to be hosting a webinar called Workplace Transitions, which is about taking that next step in your work journey. Perhaps even if you don't know what that next step is exactly, but know that you want to take a next step, how do you think through that? So that's a fantastic offering. It's going to be delivered by one of our expert career coaches. I really encourage checking that out. We also have a two-part series on communicating effectively in work situations that will be happening in the fall. Also in the fall, we are launching the Spanish language Ask the Experts virtual events that I mentioned earlier. So those will be taking place across September and October. There's going to be four offerings as part of that program. We're really excited to have those available live for our Spanish-speaking populations. And then we also, in October, have our West Coast Conference on Work and Cancer. It's going to be the eighth year that we're doing it. That is a full-day event that is going to be happening on Saturday, October 22nd. And it's a virtual event. So it will be held in Pacific time. It's from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific time. But because it's virtual, people are welcome to attend wherever in the United States they might be. So that's a fantastic opportunity to 
come hang out with us for the day, take a really focused dive into some of the issues that sit at the intersection of working after a cancer diagnosis or a histiocytosis diagnosis. And uh, I welcome all of you to check out our website for more information and register for that as well. Excellent. Such great things happening. Um, So just to pivot a teeny tiny bit, I also noticed on your website that you have a a section specifically for healthcare professionals. What kind of information do you offer there for them? Sure. So we have a uh, a manual that was written specifically for healthcare professionals to help them understand the issues that their patients are facing. This includes a checklist which can be used to help drive conversations with their uh, the people that they're working with about what their work needs are or what their you know what their concerns might be. Oftentimes, I talked about earlier how questions can feel so overwhelming at the beginning of a diagnosis or if something has changed along the way. And so that checklist is a really great resource for healthcare professionals to um, to be able to, to, to drive those conversations and make sure that they're asking some substantial questions about uh, what needs might be and, and create a plan with the people that they're, they're serving. And then all of our events are also accredited for continuing education for social workers and nurses. So all of our webinars, all of our conferences, free CEUs available so that we can really make that contribution helping people to maintain their licenses, which are so important. And Mm -hmm. I also want to mention that we have a section on our website for employers as well for okay. managers, for people who work in human resources, even for coworkers who may be, um, maybe have someone in their workplace who is going through a medical experience and they want to know how they can contribute it and help. So those are really informational articles there that can kind of walk through do's and don'ts and tips and, and all of that. Our programs are accredited by the Society for Human Resource Management to provide continuing education for HR professionals as well. So I encourage checking those out. And then there is a resource that uh, can be linked to from our website. It is a destination called workplacetransitions.org. We developed it a few years ago with a number of partners in the health insurance space and pharmaceutical companies. And that is a place where employers and managers can go specifically to have a toolkit available for them with information and guidance on how to how to best support the people that work for them who may be going through an experience like this. But this is uh, exactly why I was so excited to have you on the podcast today because Cancer Careers is just so well-rounded and so all-encompassing to, to really support people who need a lot of support during this time. So this has been so exciting to me. I'm so um, glad that we'll be able to, to give this information to our community. But before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or comments that you'd like to share directly with our Histio community? Yeah. So we often say in the presentations that we give that the only guaranteed no is to a question that doesn't get asked. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and not sure if Cancer and Careers is a resource that's right for you and your specific circumstances. I encourage you to reach out to us anyway and ask because we are really here to help. As Kathy, as you and I discussed, we learned so much from the people who come to us and tell us what they need. So please don't be shy. I hope that this is just the beginning of your relationship with Cancer and Careers and and that um, and that you'll you'll reach out to us for for whatever you might need. Well, Rachel, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation, and you have provided some extremely helpful information and resources to our adult patients. I know that um, Cancer and Careers have proved to be a welcomed and necessary resource for our community, and I'm so grateful that you took some time to tell us all about it today. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you again so much for having us. It's really been a pleasure. So there you have it. Cancer and Careers is such a fantastic and valuable organization that provides amazing and necessary resources to those who are struggling with the issues that live at the intersection of work and cancer. But whether it's cancer, histiocytosis, or any other rare disease or devastating diagnosis, the usefulness of these resources remains the same. 
Today, Rachel shared with us many opportunities. Maybe they're things that you've been searching for high and low. Maybe they're things you didn't know you needed. But I assure you, she only scratched the surface with the things they have to offer. So whether you are a patient, parent, caregiver, or even an employer of someone who struggles with cancer or any type of disease, please check out Cancer and Careers for information and resources to assist everyone involved on this difficult journey. Because all of these things make that journey just a little bit easier. As Rachel mentioned, results of the survey indicate a very high percentage of patients who absolutely look at work as a major contributing factor in their recovery because work brings people a sense of purpose, a sense of normalcy, an opportunity to take their minds off of their medical circumstances. The role work plays in people's lives cannot be ignored. Having the tools to help someone with a cancer diagnosis is something everyone should have access to. And with Cancer and Careers, we do. I'm so thankful to Rachel for taking time out of her schedule to talk with us about their incredible organization. And I hope you found this episode enlightening and helpful and that you'll take advantage of the resources they have to offer. Be sure to check the show notes for links to their website and other resources to assist you on your journey. If you liked this episode, please consider leaving a review, sharing with a friend, leaving us a comment, or taking a screenshot of the episode and tagging us on Instagram at histiocytosis underscore association. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you're notified every time a new episode of Beyond the Diagnosis is released. Remember, we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for a podcast episode, you can email it to podcast at histio.org and put podcast idea in the subject line. For links to websites, studies, articles, or resources referenced in today's episode, be sure to check the show notes. As always, we've so enjoyed bringing you this episode of the podcast and look forward to sharing our next episode coming soon. Until then, take good care.